Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts that guide the global pork industry. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about 30 years in the rearview mirror and what's in front of us. Joining me today is Dr. Tyler Holt. How's it going, Tyler? Good afternoon, Matthew. Yep, going well. How about yourself? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Staying bunkered down. Aren't we all? So before we talk through today's topic, uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about how you were introduced to the pork industry and a bit about what you did today, I guess, before the whole COVID-19 outbreak? Sure, sure. Yeah, well, I was raised in Northwest Iowa, kind of the opposite end uh, from from you. Um, we we raised pigs growing up, so it was part of part of our family. Um, I went to uh, undergrad at South Dakota State, where I did a bachelor's degree in animal science, and then on to Iowa State for a veterinary degree. And so, a lot of um, food, animal, swine in the background. So it was fascinating when we connected and you and you suggested this uh, this topic. Uh, I think it's going to be extremely fascinating to kind of hear what has gone on over the last uh, 30, 40 years within the swine industry. Um, so I guess the, to start things off, I mean, if you could describe describe the U.S. pork industry throughout the decades, and let's let's start in let's say nineteen seventy, and uh, to talk yeah, how, about how what old, was going. How old were you in nineteen seventy? I was, uh, I think my dad was still in, uh, still in like junior high. Okay. All right. That's enough. That's <laughs> enough. Yeah. No, it goes back to the seventies, really. I mean, I would have been in, uh, middle school and high school, graduated from high school in 1980, but my first exposure was in 4-H and, and raising pigs through high school. But, you know, back then in the, in the seventies, there was, uh, we were still using local genetics. Uh, I remember the time my dad experimented. I won't use the uh, genetic company's name, but he, he went and bought 100 gilts from a genetics company and he put them into our pen gestation. And uh, it was the closest thing to a disaster that you could ever see. So we, we just weren't used to um, bringing in animals from the outside. There was, there was mostly local genetics and um, many phases. In other words, uh, Today, we think of lean to finish and a sow farm, and um, we might we might move the pigs four or five times at that point in their production cycle. So, uh, oh wow, nursery, a cold nursery, a grower finisher was, was very common. So, when, when I guess you move into the 1980s, um, you're doing some stuff with... Uh, with a, a larger pork producer in the Midwest, and you mind talking about how things changed moving into that decade, and and uh, I guess in some ways, what did performance data look like back in the eighties? Yeah, that was shortly after Tom Stein had brought in Pig Champ too, and so we were starting to look at metrics a little more during that decade. Am I right? That's exactly right, Matthew. Um, I had the opportunity right out of vet school to go to work for Swine Graphics, which is a company up in Webster City, Iowa, 
and we did consulting. Uh, we, we had a production records company as well. And in fact, I dug up some of those out of my uh, Swine Graphics box, and I thought it might be interesting to uh, to share a few of those stats. But how about I do it this way? I'll do it in the form of a quiz for you. All right. Sounds good. So, um, in 1988, what do you think the average live born was for all the herds, which was approximately 300 different herds were in the Swine Graphics database? What was the average live born, do you think, in 1988? Oh, uh, upper tens, uh, 11. 9.87. Oh, wow. And we had on our card, we had a card that showed the average, the top 20, and then a goal. And for Liveborn, the average was 9.87. The top 20 percentage was uh, 10.2. And we showed as a goal for Liveborn in 1988 of 10.6. So we're talking a 20 to 35% difference from where we're at today. Uh, or 40 or... Yeah, if not higher on sure. some operations. Sure. What yeah. were what was pigs per sow per year? Pigs per sow per year average for those herds on swine graphics was 19.3. Now that's just incredible. And the top, top 20% was 21.9. And uh, we showed as a goal in 1988 of 22 pigs per sow per year. No, that does make a lot of sense. I, I do remember uh, my dad saying that. So in 1988, he actually went off to work for J.C. Howard uh, over in North Carolina. And mm -hmm. he was talking with my grandfather, who had a couple hundred sows in Pella, Iowa, about where the numbers were. And my grandpa didn't believe, he, he couldn't believe that someday we'd be weaning 10 pigs per litter. And... Uh, mm -hmm. Now we're we're now we're looking at operations doing twelve and a half to thirteen. Incredible. Sure. Sure. Yep. Um, you know, and on the grow finish side, um, again, we listed it out by stage of production. And so we had a hot nursery, pigs from thirteen to twenty-three pounds, a cold nursery, twenty-three to fifty pounds, a grower, fifty to one hundred and ten pounds, and then finisher one hundred and ten to the whopping market weight of two thirty-five. That's what our market for. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, my dad was moving pigs the other day, and he hadn't done uh, selling uh, market hogs for quite some time. He's like, I'm not used to these 300-pounders. I'm used to these 235, 240-pounders. That's a lot harder on these now. Right. Yeah, I was at a research trial just last week, and uh, I think the, the heaviest was 320. So, yeah, that's that's pretty common. Um, so take a guess at what the number of days it took to get from lean to market and again market was only 235 pounds what was the average number of days on in our system in 1988 oh man i have no idea it was right at six months oh wow 235 and that was probably with a 24 day old lean pig at that what would you attribute the, a lot of the success to us reducing that time? Well, again, uh, we in the 1980s, I mean, we were still doing multiple phases of production. We weren't doing multiple sites. And so by, by moving into the 90s and into the 2000s where we started doing the multi-site production, um, rather than moving a pig three or four times within a single site, a one-site production, 
we were now maybe going to a nursery and then a finisher and now eventually obviously a lot of room to finish but reducing the movement um if you look at improvements just in general back then i think we made great strides in nutrition um you know when i I remember the days in the 70s where you just ordered complete feed from the elevator and, and that's what you had. And we've gotten so much more sophisticated now with our diets. I think uh, nutrition is advanced. Obviously, genetics is advanced. Environment's advanced. Um, and hopefully, as a veterinarian, I would hope that uh, our health is advanced. But I, I, uh, I'd say we still have a lot of work to do there. So uh, from a... 90s perspective um what else was happening during the 90s that caught the industry by surprise and or helped move it forward well the big one was in the early 90s was uh, the mystery swine disease so i mean i graduated from vet school in 1988 and we didn't have one word of about purrs because there was no purrs it had just actually been introduced we didn't know what it was and by the early 90s it had spread quite a bit and so mystery swine disease then eventually became PERS and I think that that really um, opened our eyes to a lot of things including biosecurity um, I was so naive when I finished vet school that I, I my wife reminded me of this the other day she said you know you were saying that you thought we wouldn't really even need antibiotics in about 10 to 15 years because we were really getting the health under control. And um, that was actually before the big viral disease, in that case, PERS, hit the industry. So PERS was a, was a, was a big, big game changer for the industry. And, and it continues to obviously be an impact. But I'd say in the 90s too, that's when, when we started doing multi-site production. And so that helped on the one aspect is to start um, getting the growing pigs away from the south farm. And that was really blowing up in uh, the mid to late 90s in the Midwest, right? And that's all kind of stemmed from some stuff that uh, Murphy was doing down in North Carolina? Yeah. I mean, there was folks that um, had been working on I mean, Hank Harris, uh, Alexander over in, in, in England. I mean, they're working on strategies to try to diminish the transmission of disease. And uh, that's where the whole multi-site uh, first came into, into being. So what about the 2000s? All right, now now stepping into that decade, we're a little bit more sophisticated. Uh, we're definitely not perfect yet. What were some of the things that came into place then and um, really took over? Well, I think not that they weren't growing already in the 90s, um, but by the 2000s we started getting bigger and bigger farms and so we started getting more concentration of labor and more i think more expertise but also a little bit of a challenge on the labor side as well um i mean when going back again to the 1980s just one more thing from the swine graphics card when when you look at the sow data we broke it into categories of sizes of sow farms and the smallest category was less than 120 sows. <laughs> biggest category on this was more than 400 sows. Yeah. And, and that was just 1988. So in the 90s, we grew. And then to, to your point, in the 2000s, I mean, we just got larger and larger 
farms and um, which provides its own challenges and benefits as well. But that that I think really took off in the 2000s. Um, towards the second half of the 2000s, uh, I have to bring up health as a veterinarian. I mean, that's when PCBAD hit. And mm-hmm. yeah, not too different from PERS uh, from a standpoint of just affecting most of the industry. That certainly rocked the industry 2006, 2007. And it, I think it wasn't until 2008 when we started getting reasonable amount of uh, vaccine out there, which thankfully for that disease was was literally a silver bullet for, for that one. So I'd say size of farms and uh, PCBID was the, was the 2000s. Yeah, and in the 2000s, we were really focused on scale, right? Getting getting to these bigger farms, and then all of a sudden, the the 2010s hit, and uh, which is still funny to say, it just feels weird saying 2010. Uh, mm-hmm. Welfare, welfare became a big thing, and yep. Uh, yep. and PED in the mid 2000s was huge. Sure, sure. What what, what evolutions within animal welfare did, did, have you seen? Um, over the last decade, and how how much more do we focus on it as an industry than 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 we did in the past? Sure. Well, obviously, there's the big issue about crates for sows, and that's been something that I would say um, has continued to impact. Well, what do we what do we look at? What do we expect for sow housing? Right, and that seems to be very much market driven, consumer driven from that standpoint. Um, welfare from the just standpoint of handling. Um, and, and I think that farms are much more cognizant of how to handle and care for animals. And that's not just on the farm. I think that goes all the way. I know it goes all the way into the packing plant. So, um, just much more aware of that, you know, and that ties back to, well, what's, what, what's this current consumer? What, what's the changes there? Well, we get more into the millennials and the younger generation, they expect that whole approach to the food that they're eating. And I think that needs to be reflected in what we do all the way back to the farm. Yeah, farm to fork is a big deal right now among the millennials and newer generations, knowing where that where that produce or protein came from and, and what's in it. And Yep, yep. So PED hit mid, uh, right around 2014. Um, at that point in time, I, I was around. Uh, I was managing yeah, a cow yeah. farm in, in, uh, in northern Iowa and yeah. had the opportunity to work on a farm with PED, if we want to call it an opportunity or not. Um, it was nasty. You mind walking yeah. through what, what it was like being a veterinarian during those times? Yeah. Well, I think what, what I was encouraged by viewing what our veterinary profession did was there was a lot of collaboration. It was amazing to me how there were organized calls, there was organized webinars, um, there was very open sharing, even though these you could view these as competing companies or competing businesses, there was a lot of open sharing of what's working and what's not, which was very encouraging. And you know, that's that's a learning that I think carries forward to today. Um, the other thing that PED, I think, did was really opened our eyes to the global aspects of our industry, that this was a disease that we knew came from China, and we didn't have our 
arms completely around exactly how, but it opened our eyes to, well, it's not just from the Atlantic to the Pacific on our borders. We really need to have a good surveillance and good preparation for what else is out there around the world. And obviously today that plays into the threat of ASF, but PED, I think it, it improved or, or it just showed how well an industry can come together and collaborate on how best to approach a new disease. And at the same time, it opened our eyes to there's threats beyond our borders and we need to be cognizant of that. Man, biosecurity has come a long way, both uh, within the industry and the way that import-exports are, are being viewed. Uh, let's talk ASF. I mean, could you describe what it is and uh, the threats it, it poses on our industry? Well, I think everybody's familiar with African swine fever. It's a virus that um, it's actually been around quite a while, but because it really didn't affect some of the major pork markets, it's never really gotten the attention that it has now in the last few years. But once it started progressing up through Russia and started potentially impacting Europe, um, people were fully aware of it. And then, uh, yeah, August of 2018, um, it hit China. And I had the opportunity to go over to China and work there uh, with my consulting business several times a year now since 2014. And the magnitude of that industry relative to the globe was something that I think caught everybody's attention. Um, the fact that half the pigs, half the pork in the world was produced in China, and I say was, um, when a disease like ASF hits, that has some huge implications. And then the concern, uh, obviously, that, well, what if ASF comes to our soil? And if that's the case, uh, different than China, where there's basically going to be an endemic disease, or it's going to be a disease that's going to be there for, for the time being. Uh, in the U.S., we certainly will move towards containment and um, basically depopulation of any herds that would be affected. So um, it's, in, a, it's a big deal. In a lot of ways, when we look at what we're dealing right now with COVID-19, what the swine industry had to endure last year and what we're still focused on this year, it's 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 a similar global epidemic that could really uh, affect a lot of a lot of people, and I, I guess going into that, I mean, you mind talking about COVID nineteen? Um, you 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 work with a lot of different groups. How, how is the industry handling with it, handling this? Uh, do you feel as though they're doing a good job? And and how 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 do you think this is going to affect uh, how the industry moves forward? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it is interesting. Obviously, we've all moved into more of a remote and uh, electronic communication approach. Um, I mean, agriculture is still considered critical. I mean, it is it is classified as critical. So when we need to go to a farm and we need to do um, some assessments on farm, obviously feed needs to go to the farms and pigs need to go to market. I mean, all those things need to continue to happen. But I, I see businesses uh, that support the industry making very clear policies for their teams as far as how to handle their biosecurity. 
most have, have gone to let's just do phone and, and webinar. So I think that's wise. Um, but I think from the, at the veterinary level, I mean, there's still that balance of, well, we still got to get out and see the pigs and you don't want to, you don't want to threaten the health of the staff at those farms. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's a careful line to walk, but we still need to take care of the pigs. So when we look at performance over, oh, the past, uh, 30, 40 years, what is the, I mean, what has changed most dramatically and what really hasn't changed? Well, we talked some of those performance parameters. I mean, clearly genetics have, have changed and uh, the use of artificial insemination. And I mean, that goes way back when you hear an old guy like me say, well, we changed to artificial insemination. But I remember the days where we still bought boars. So um, I'd say genetics. Um, obviously nutrition, my dad's a nutritionist, he's 81 years old now. And when I talk to him about what, what they're doing with diets and stuff, he's, he's truly amazed. Uh, environment, you know, we've talked about multiple sites. Uh, I think we've made great strides there. And, and I do think we've made strides in health. Although the, the challenge is, as we're seeing with COVID, that when you get large populations together, diseases can spread. So that'll continue to be a challenge. Um, but that all said, you know, dramatic improvements in performance. <clears throat> the one that struck me, though, and um, there's a couple of comments there, is mortality. And that doesn't matter whether it's post-wean or pre-wean mortality, but we're, we really haven't moved the dial on mortality um, since 1988 when uh, when we were putting these uh, performance records together and i i know that for example that's something that that you and your team focus on but pre-wean mortality was um 13 percent back in 1988 and it ranged depending upon the size of the farms on average for a year up to 15 percent well Unfortunately, I don't think that we've really moved that dial a lot. So that's where we are today. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's similar in post wean. Um, I, I think we're better, but I, but I think there's a lot of room to, to improve. So that would be the one thing that I'd say is, 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 uh, a big opportunity for our industry yet. And I know that Iowa State, Kansas State, and Purdue have put together this, uh, pig livability consortium and so that's certainly one of their goals and it's going to take technology like your team and strategies from others to to address that mortality and our opportunity yeah that was a big move forward the focus on premium mortality and last year it was sound mortality and really taking that uh, and putting it at the forefront of everybody's minds when we look at key technologies that drove change you mentioned nutrition genetics health and technology uh but What's still to come? What are some of the biggest opportunities for advancements uh, within technologies in the industry? Well, as we've gotten bigger and we've gotten multi-site within an organization, I think communication can sometimes be challenged. So technology as it is in just basic basic communication, but also in sharing data, and probably most importantly is keeping that data relevant to either the group or I would say we're going to be moving into the individual animal 
era here soon. So the technology with regard to data gathering that can be more automated, data that can be shared, and data that that basically creates a traceability, again, from birth all the way to market. And there's a lot of companies that are kind of focusing on that, EveryPig and SoundTalks. There, there's some really neat ideas out there that are really coming to fruition and making an impact on producers. Uh, now that we've looked down, I guess, through the rearview mirror, and we look down the road, uh, how do you see Wi-Fi and, and, and mobile phones and other, other devices and farms uh, in this decade? Yeah, well, you you know, we, we already see that. Um, certainly the most innovative farms are doing that, but I I can't help but believe that the, the, the staff that we're going to motivate to be out on farms will want to be using their technology on farm, not just at home. So yeah, they'll, we'll have to figure out how to do Wi-Fi or whatever that communication venue is. And yeah, mobile, uh, we already see that. It's a matter of getting more of the technology built into it. So uh, I, I absolutely believe we'll, we'll see the equivalent of Wi-Fi and mobile. I think we need to have groups and organizations work together to some extent. So we can't all be working in silos. So integration of softwares, I think, will come together and I, I just think that again back to that traceability we're going to need to be able to connect the dots within the farm let alone between farms yeah and even around wi-fi i think there's uh some education to be had yet we were at a uh, aasv and they were talking about putting wi-fi in farms and i think it's a lot simpler than what people think it is but it's also pretty difficult and uh it, it it can cost money from five to twenty thousand dollars depending on how you do it and so i think there's still a lot of education on the infrastructure that's needed to even make these technologies operate what, well, what, if you you think about where our farms are from a biosecurity standpoint those typically aren't in well-served areas either so yeah the infrastructure's got to keep i mean if we continue building the information infrastructure just in general for agriculture for rural america if we make strides like we've made in the last 10 years over the next 10 years well we'll be there but um it's it is some of the least served areas are our best biosecure areas so when we look at producers today versus producers from 1970 and everything between what does success in the industry look like today and has the definition of success changed over the years? Well, success, I would argue, has for the entire my entire career, success in the U.S. swine industry has always been driven around cost. And I think that's gonna that paradigm is gonna have to shift. I think it's gonna need to go from cost the quality and the quality in that encompasses these attributes we've already talked about whether that's welfare whether that's use of antibiotics whether that's um, anything dealing with taste uh, environment um, we're going to have to build in quality 
and at some point quit looking at everything on the strict ROI of cost. So I, I believe that that, that will be the biggest paradigm shift. Um, you see that over on the poultry side. Um, my, my brother-in-law, um, is with uh, Purdue farms with Purdue chicken and they, they have done the shift. They've done the shift over from trying to continue to push that bird to now turning around and looking at quality and actually slowing down their growth so that they've got better eatability of that, of that chicken. So I think we're going to have to face, uh, the point where we don't just look at everything as the lowest cost wins and we need to look at quality. That makes sense. I mean, for so long, it has been focused on quantity and how, how can we, uh, gain the most out of everything. And, uh, I, I believe you're right. So if you, to kind of close out here, if you had one gold nugget for pork producers, industry partners, consumers listening today, what would it be and why? Well, I think we just touched on it. It would be, hey, let's start, the golden nugget would be, let's start focusing on quality. And quality can mean different things to different people, but maybe just spend some time thinking about what does quality mean in my organization. And it could relate to welfare, could relate to environment, might relate to the the um, acceptability of my final product to the consumer. Um, but start thinking in terms of quality and not just quantity and costs. That makes a lot of sense. Well, it's been wonderful having you on the, the Popular Pig podcast. I <laughs> thank you for taking the time to share your story and expertise yeah very enjoyed it and i appreciate the opportunity and um yeah let's let's see what the the next day brings here in the, the new normal likewise stay healthy all right you too matthew thank you thank you for joining us on this episode of popular pig We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. Therefore, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com and subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are available.